Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Hey everyone, welcome to Absurdity, an exploration of all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. Tony, we are one away. Yeah. That's next exciting. Week, no, that's exciting. Next week, we cross, we cross the proverbial, I don't, it's not a finish line. Into the, into the, the, the milestone. It's like crossing the Rubicon. You know what I mean? I mean like, at this point, it's a, we're, this we're, is a thing we do now. It's not just like a hobby, like, it's a thing we do. Yeah, like I feel no, a this responsibility. Is, this is a uh, let, let let's put it this way. This is as close to syndication as you can get in the position. That in the, we're yeah, in. in the Adventist podcasting world, we are the, is, the Seinfeld yeah. of the. Uh, <laughs> that's literally like we're just here now. This is us. Um, I, I have a feeling we're more like the Simpsons, just like this long, incredibly long thing that was good at the beginning, but now it's just kind of driving. Meh. So. Yeah, they're just, like, why? Why do they just just, just, oh, just keep putting it on? Just twenty three years, I just keep putting it on. Just <laughs> the eighties were a really dark year for absurdity. Or the eighties were were a really dark episode time for. But the nineties, man, when they got to the nineties, oh, yeah, they the really 90s pulled right. out all the stops. Ooh, that's where we need their original charm. That's where we need to stick the Strangers Things. Now, here's the thing: <laughs> Stranger Things know, theme music. <laughs> so I know that. Um, I know that I've learned a lot since starting this whole journey, but the other night I was messing with like EQ and vocalization settings and like, like basically just editing things because there's been something that's bothered me about the sound of my own voice. Not just the fact that it's my voice, easy joke there for anyone who wants to make it, but like there's been something that's been bothering me for literal months and I couldn't figure out what it was. And last night I'm just playing around and I tweak one tiny setting. Like I just have this epiphany that, that the chart or the graph that I had been looking at for months, I finally understood it the way I needed to understand it. Everything clicked. And now I'm happy with the way my voice sounds like, and I'm, and now automatically I hate the last 40 episodes <laughs> or at least I don't hate the last 40 episodes, but I hate how I sounded them. And I'm really upset about it, but I'm really happy that I've 
that I figured this out. Now, I'm still learning, and I'll still continue to learn. It's just wild to think about. Like, um, I've spent probably over 600 hours working on Absurdity alone since I launched this thing. Yeah. That's posting time. That's editing oh, yeah. time, recording time, planning time. That's travel time. That's um, that's everything. Yeah. Like, that's all the time that I spent learning and tweaking and working watching the, videos yeah. and, like, actually working on the, the craft. The YouTube yeah, the YouTube that I don't use, that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a limited run of absurdity on YouTube. Uh, no, there's not. It's not video. It's just my. It's just the podcast artwork. Um, but the, the the kicker is that's not including the work that I do with Lead Podcast or Echo. Right. So yeah. That's just us. That's yeah. That's just absurdity. That's insane. And that's why if people come to me for podcasting help now, I can't just I can't just say like, yeah, I'll just help you for free. Um, I can't like. I've put way too much blood, sweat, and tears in, the, in this, and how it many takes hours, way too long. How many hours are you supposed to put in before you're an expert? I can't remember. It's like 1,000 or something? No, I think it's 10,000. Oh. I was going to be like, that? it's, it's, we're, we got to be getting close to that. Like, we're, we're really no. good at that. Oh, never mind. We're not even Let close. Let me see. Well, as we're, as we're going to keep talking, I'm going to Google this and yeah, see if I can Yeah, Google find. it now. But what... um. No, it's just insane to think of how far we've come, how many hours I've put into yeah. this, and, and you've put into this as well. Um, granted, all you have to do is show up and record, but you've you've invested you, financially in you, this too. I was going to say, you've, do, you, you've, do you know how much weight I've lost to be on this podcast for the role? I mean, I've had to get personal trainers. <laughs> I went on a juiced fast diet for like three months. People don't recognize me in the streets now. Wow. That's all a lie. I did That's, nothing... <laughs> that's I mean people still don't recognize you in the streets but it's for a it's, different reason. Yeah, it's more the beard. It's cuz no one knows it's no one knows who you are. Yeah, no that's one, why. You're just a normal human I, being. I, seriously the real talk like for it like the last few times I've been in a couple places that people know of absurdity like literally people oh this is Tony. Uh he he's from absurdity. Oh you're the Tony. Like literally no recognition. <laughs> oh you're that one. I'm just like yes, yes. I'm yeah. I'm that one. I'm so, glad that you recognize my voice. So I just I just Googled it. It's 10,000 hours Dang but of deliberate practice, and it has a very specific definition of goal setting and feedback and drills, all that good We've stuff. We've got to be getting but, still close to no, that. No, okay, I but mean, here's, here's like, my point. Probably at like 2,000. What you're, what, you're, what you're asking me to do is, give, is basically fast-track you through 600 hours of learning if yeah. you're asking me for help. Yeah. Which I'm happy to do. But can we, can we, like, this, this feels bad, but can we, like, honor that at all? <laughs> I, like, in the Adventist church? Me. No. No, but. Um, That's why we ask our graphic designers to just come up with something for the church for free. Like, no, that's their job. Yeah. You wouldn't ask <laughs> yeah. a construction worker to just work on it for free. Like, hey, yeah. can you build us? A no. Like, yeah. Nope. Oh, well, it is what it is. This, I mean, honestly, I love doing this and I wouldn't change it, trade it for the world. And there's a lot of people and friends that I do help for free. Like, I don't, it's not like I'm going to sit here and start charging a hundred dollars for you to take, you know, to learn from me or anything. But, um, it would be nice that if you're planning to ask me for help in any significant way that you could plan to donate something, just, it would be nice. <laughs> um, thank you, I'm happy to help. Yeah. I'm happy to help. Don't get me wrong. But, um, all right. Now that I've officially established myself as a jerk, um, <laughs> I hate you. Uh, good. That's I hate me too. I loathe me. Um, let's talk about today. So today, this is this is an episode I've been actually putting off because someone suggested that I talk about this, and I couldn't figure out a a, a 
Someone suggested via Twitter a while back that we talk about value versus goal-based decision-making. And I was like, that doesn't really fit absurdity. But at the same time, I, that's really important. So then I found a way like, it to make it fit. Like, it doesn't fit, but it totally fits. Yeah, that's, like, that's the thing. Like, like, that's, that's something we would totally talk about, but that particular topic isn't how we would do it. No, it would probably be some catalyst, like something in the news that made us talk about it as a whole after we respond to something in the news or something. But today, I think I, I, I think we found a good way to talk about it. So um, basically, I want to talk about this in connection to the church and how how we as a church, both denominationally and on the local level, right? So when I say the church, we're going to have to define, we're going to have to clearly like delineate which church we're talking about, the local church or like our local community or the denomination. Um, and I think for the, for the duration of this discussion anyway, I think you and I are going to try our best to not uh, be denomination specific, but just like the church as a whole versus local church that I belong to. And we're going to try to keep it things as general as possible, but Hey, there are some times where the filter that you look through, the bias that you have is unavoidable. So to my non-Adventist listeners, I apologize if any of that comes on and, and alienates you a bit, but um, thank you for being here. And I hope that there's things that you can find that that definitely um, you resonate with. It relates here. to you, yeah. Yeah, because um, you can translate most of this um, for sure. So uh, the way that I want to kind of tackle this is is um, it's going to start off I probably negative, but oh well. Uh, what do you think... What do you think are the ways that we uh, that we measure success in the church right now? Like the church as a whole. So let's talk about right, the church so, on a broad scale. So like the organization. <clears throat> yeah. So as a, a as a big group, I I would say I think baptism numbers. Uh, I think. So, like, total people being added. Um, yeah, membership numbers, right? We have this many members, right. or I think we make up this percent of the population, that kind of thing. As a whole, uh, mm, amount of ministries started, right? As a, as a big percentage, like, oh, Adra did this here, and we built a school there, and we've whatever. So I think that also... Um, uh, amount of area that we've grown. So like churches planted and, um, so number of churches communities affected things like that. Yeah. Global reach, maybe global reach. I think or that's, a, I, th- I think that's a good reach. way to do it because it's like, sometimes you can't plant a church, but you, you know, Oh, we've sent this many missionaries out and we've done this with this many student missionaries. Yeah. Um, you know, or like say for a non non-denominational church, like we expanded, we, you know, we have this campus started and we've got, um, you know, a school, um, you know, but it's, it's like, it's more than just the local congregation. Like it's bigger. Um, yeah, I can see that. I think those are the things that really we look for when it comes to that. And, and I think tithe growth, but as a, as a, as it relates to member growth. If that makes any sense. So tithe growth being that it needs to be in like proportional or at, like in line with like it's like it, it needs doesn't to be parallel like with how member much, growth. Yes. Like it doesn't really like the fact that we have more money doesn't really matter as much as more people are giving. 
Like more people yeah, more, are invested yeah. in this organization. Ha- we have more members, and they're in, and yeah. all of those members, or most of those members, are investing. Yeah, and it's making more members are investing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's like this. It's like um, uh, as a as an organization, let's say Starbucks goes public, you don't want like eight people owning your stock. You want more people owning your stock. You know what I mean? That way, that the power gets spread a little bit. Um, more people are invested in it. More people are going to advertise for you. I have no idea if that's true in business. Um, <laughs> I, I am. No, I took one class in economics. Wonderful I professor. Know, you know, uh, man, I so slept. many people are like, yeah, I own stock in Amazon. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't you. matter. Um, but I think that's part of it is like part of owning that company means like now I'm invested in it. Um, and I'm going to buy from it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Because I want it to do well. So um, I think that's really is like you want people to be invested um, as a large organization. And I think an easy way to do that is like tithe numbers, but yeah, not well, the a, other thing is yeah. like, you've got to make your bills. So, <laughs> um, you got to make, but bills. I think that's, 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 that is more like a local level kind of a deal yeah, where it gets pragmatic. Still, yeah. But I do think on a grander scale, denominationally, yes, too. Yeah. Especially within Adventism. Yeah. But I mean, I think like as an organization, you're really more interested because like, you're dealing with millions, and yes, like I understand that at that level, like the costs are bigger too. But I think realistically, you want more people buying into the organization from an organizational level. When you think about it from the big scale, if yeah. eight, you know, if five people give a million dollars, that's nice. But if a million people give five dollars, well, a million people can then give six dollars. You know what I mean? Like that growth can be exponential versus with those five. It it you know it might go away. Yeah. It's you know you want you want your your eggs to you you don't want to put all your eggs in the basket. You want more eggs, obviously, because you you know you have to sell them. But you want them in more baskets. You want more diversity. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's worth that's because it because yeah. it just shows that people aren't just coming into the organization to take, but they're coming in to give and they want to help it grow. Okay, so there's a side to this though that I think. Um, I think is important to point out. And the thing that's, that I think is really important to point out is when, when, when we're saying that uh, the church measures success as an organization or the ways that the church measures success as an organization, um, what, the, the other way to say that or the church speak way to say that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is leading. Like that's what we always say, right? If tithe is increasing, if, if, we're, if we have more members, right? Oh, we have 20 million members. Praise God. That's what Clearly we Clearly God is behind us. Yeah, God is behind this, that kind of thing, right? So the ways in which we measure success, someone might ask like, oh, well, you're not talking about the Holy Spirit's leading and looking for that. Well, the problem is that like, and, and we'll get to this, I think we're going to talk about this later specifically, but like the Holy Spirit leading is kind of intangible, like, it, like it's hard to quantify. And so the best way we could think of to quantify it is, is uh, the, the these way kind of the Bible numbers. Kind of did. Yeah, it did. Like Where the Bible's like five thousand were added in one day, and it's just like woo. And as a church, we're adding about that much in one day. You know, when we have eighteen million, men, you know, Christianity's as a whole is adding way more than that every day. But at the same time, it's like okay, but God necessarily isn't. That's you can add, you know the funny thing is you can add people and they can walk right out the you know right out the door the next day. So yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. Sometimes not the best pH test. Yeah. But, and I think at the local level too, all of that gets amplified because you can visibly see all of those things, right? At the, at this institutional or system level, it's harder to tell, 
But with the local church level, like you can see specifically who got baptized. You can, like, you know those people, right? You can see how much offering is coming in. Um, though if you're a non-denominational church, uh, like Adventism splits tithe and offering. It doesn't see it as one thing, right? So tithe goes up the chain and gets gets kind of divvied up across the church globally. Offering stays local. That's not the case in, in a church where tithe stays local. So um, you've got, you know, so your tithe and offering numbers uh, might be high or they might be low, Um but your bills got to get paid. You're making the other thing too. Your church is growing. I think I, not literally growing. I mean, your facilities are growing. So we might measure success by how fresh our facilities look, or how how recent we made an addition, or an upgrade, yeah. or we fix something. Right. So it's state of disrepair or it's state of repair. Maintenance. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and attendance. Right. How many butts are in the seat? Um, we, we. I think that's uh, the bigger the, one than membership. Is is actual attendance? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think anyone pays attention to membership. I think like, they do. No, like, I don't think the average member pays attention. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I see you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Like, if yeah, they're super invested, yeah. yeah. If like, they're, if, if they're just, super so, invested, then yes, they so do. So, for too. instance, there was there were three hundred, you know, on our books, but re- realistically, it was anywhere from a hundred to two hundred actually attending. And that's actually pretty good. We had, you know, like 80%, but, um, a hundred to 200 of 300 is not 80%, Tony. No, I'm saying like, (laughs) I'm saying like the majority of the people on the books at least came to the church nominally. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like these, it wasn't like these stories where like half the people on the books don't go here anymore. It was like 80% well nominally, but not all the time. Like they weren't consistent members. And that's a pretty decent, uh, uh, number, you know, 250 showing up, you know, that was when we, you know, when we would have the special Sabbaths, uh, the, and, and to be honest, the hundred was like communion, you know, the ones that people typically don't show up to, um, which you should show up to communion. It's wonderful. It's awesome. I love it. It's my favorite Sabbath. Anyway, point B. <laughs> and it point only B. happens four times a year. Yeah. Uh, but it should happen more. I like, ah, anyway, no, not the point. That's a different, that's a different episode. Um, no, but like I think like for the people who actually show up, I think the ones who show up rarely, they don't really care. Like they can be impressed by the numbers where they're like, oh, there's 300. That's nice. Um, but I think like people who are invested, they're like, look, we we come here every week. We're invested in these ministries. Realistically, like the number of people who actually are actively involved I think is even smaller than the attendees. And I think those are the people that the people who are in the know are the ones that actually like, how can we move people? Like, you know, any Stanley says, you know, like from the, from the kitchen to the, or from the, from the parlor to the kitchen, like how can we move them into membership? But most of the, just like the nominal people who just kind of show up, you know, either three times yeah. a week or whatever they, you can say, Oh, we've got like 300 of the books. We've grown, whatever. Like, They've kind of they kind of like those um, yeah but, fireworks per se yeah I mean they they might care about them as far as how much what they what they might reveal about the church in a positive light but the problem is like the the reason I say that the average member doesn't care about it is because no one sees it as a problem that a hundred people aren't there on Sabbath no one's going pastor there's a hundred people missing we need to go get them where are they do we know where they are has anyone called them lately uh, members when they when they move towns or move cities like. There's people who moved away from their city and now like 
Yeah. They never moved their membership. We have no idea where they are. We haven't seen them in years. No one cares. Uh, and you can't just take someone off of them. Like, it, there's, there's all these things. No one seems to really be in crisis mode when members don't show up. And they don't reference that list a lot. The only time we reference that list is when we're sending out birthday cards or sending out church information or like that's about and like it does help as far as tithe is concerned, church stats with the conference in Adventism anyway, that kind of thing. Like it helps, but um, like that's about it. It's it's not really much more than that yeah. as far as how many. But it is it is a like membership or at least attendance, especially yeah. um, does tend to be a metric for success. I I think another one is, and this isn't for everyone, but I think for some, it's enjoyment of worship style. Yeah. Like, like let's be real, 80%, I mean, I'll even say, all right, so I'll even say, like, one of the reasons why more traditional members don't like, like, uh, progressive or contemporary church is because they don't like the music. They don't enjoy it. So they claim it's not holy, but the reality is like, they're not interested in the holiness or not holiness of their music as much as it's what they're used to and what they enjoy. And so for them, a measure of success, like the church would be failing if we let drums up on stage, the church is a failure because I don't enjoy drums and I don't feel comfortable with drums. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'd say I say I'd say worship and you know worship enjoyment, worship preaching, all that good yeah. stuff. You yeah. know how engaging yeah. our pastor is yeah. or pastoral think work. About, think about that all as far that. as like from yep. a preacher's perspective. Like, yep. If no someone, pressure. I and the irony is, I was in an, a place in the world where they like fire and brimstone. So it was like you know I would get people come up like preacher, you need to hit us a little harder with stuff, and I was like, no, I really don't. Like, dude, I saw someone go off on Twitter. Most of you are not stabbing people, so I think you're. You just need to learn to love people better. Like, this dude, this dude on Twitter. Uh, last night I was I was just on. I was looking at um uh, an author. I think he's an author, or a pastor in New York. Pastor a, in New York. A dangerous pastime. Uh, he uh, he posted some tweet about um. Have we ever thought that the current state of the church is God's judgment on us for dishonoring the Holy Spirit? And he was quoting a and he was quoting a book. He was it was a direct quote, and it was just a thought provoking thing. Whatever. Okay. This dude from the UK with like a hundred followers tweets at this dude, tweets at this pastor, and yeah. just goes off. I'm talking Unloads. like, uh, like he probably sent like twenty texts or twenty tweets to this dude, all just going and going and going about how he's not preaching repentance. He's he's not preaching anything. Um, with substance in, and he's just trying to appease the masses and get followers and fill the, the pastor. Like, just, that he, pastor the, no, no, or no. his own pastor? No, no, no. The follower, like right, the, right. The, the, the guy who's the responding. author, the pastor that that tweeted out. He right. just tweets out a quote from a book. A book, and then the guy that responds is just some dude from the UK. I don't know. He's not a pastor or anything. And, and he's just he's, some guy in the UK. But he's talking about the author or the yes. He's talking about both. Oh, he's talking okay, about both. Okay, okay, no, about both. he's talking about the pastor saying you're preaching this terrible thing. What does this even mean? You tweeted this out, and you're, you're not even explaining. what Oh, it means. okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. And he's and um and he just goes, he just keeps going off, and I'm like, holy cow, dude, like chill. Do you, do you know him personally? Uh, like, did like, he run no. over your dog? Like, what's going yeah, on? It's like, it's like you need to preach repentance and 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 it, you know the, the kingdom of God. It calls for sacrifice, man. Um, and I'm I mean, picturing, you know, does, what I'm picturing? but what's his not name? On what's his Twitter. name from that that '70s show? Uh, the dude that's always high. Um, All of them, Fez. 
No, 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 no. It's oh, right. oh, fair, the, fair the hippie, enough. the older hippie guy. The hippie, yes, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Oh, I can't think of his name. Yeah, I can't think of his name either. Yeah, he had I one of the, the he had, the he had one of the best. Yeah, of the, he had one of the best lines of that whole thing. He was like, "I saw aliens once. They told me it was going to be a good year." Yeah. <laughs> Did you happen to see this at a football game? Oh, I oh, his name's right there on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, yeah, yeah it was so at a football game. Did you see I him too? Leo, Leo. Leo, Leo, yes. Leo. I did so, not go to Vietnam for you to disrespect me like this. Leo, you were in Vietnam. That's why I said I did not go to Vietnam. Go to Vietnam. <laughs> um, I literally picture this dude ranting at this off this pastor. Um, oh, I can like, see it now. I can but totally like an enraged, see it. enraged. Yeah, Leo. just like, like oh, he's, he's like passionate, like offended. Like how? How come can on, you, man. dude? Sell dude, out, man. Preach repentance. It's a sellout. Um, but yeah, no, we like I. So I get the fire and brimstone thing. They they want a certain thing from their pastor. Yeah, if they're getting that. Then yes. And well, I read. I once read a book called The Shepherd of the Hills, and it made me very angry and very frustrated. And there was a second one, and that one made me even more angry and frustrated. Um, the first one, basically, it's a pastor that screwed up big time, and so he ends up going out and becomes a literal shepherd in the hills. And it's kind of the whole story about like how he finds kind of redemption, you know, by just living this simple life. And then the second one is like his grandson or something or great grandson goes back to be a pastor and basically goes into this church and the church doesn't want to hear what he has to say. So he just leaves ministry together, you know, completely. And it's like, there's no way the organized religion can ever truly. So he becomes the new shepherd of the hills or something like that. And I was like, dude, what? you're the, the biggest pansy. Like you, you know, but that's the reality is like, okay, I could totally see where he's coming from. Cause like, keep in mind I'm in a pastor's house, right? Like I'm fully aware that that's a real thing. Don't get me wrong. That's a real thing. People come up and complain all the time about that stuff, but it's like, okay, so they fired you. Your calling doesn't come from those people, you know, like, yeah, you know, and if anything, and this is my thing, like we have to change the fact that, and, and this is what I mean when I bring up that fact that, you know, we, we want, we want pastors uh, or, or our, our ministers to, um, to, to preach stuff that we're comfortable with. That's a success. It's like, no, your success shouldn't—the you, success of preaching should not come from the public's perception. It should come from your—like, did I take what God was trying to show, and did I preach it to the people? Was God able yeah. to move, not from their reaction, like not by how many people like came up or whatever. Like whenever I do a call, it wasn't, I don't look at the success of the amount of people that came up or someone, you know, came and gave the list. It was like, did I follow God's leading in this or was this me? And most of the time I don't like to do a call. So, so if I'm doing it, it's because I'm like, I really feel like God's telling me to do this right now. And that's the success. It's like, did I listen to God or not? Mm -hmm. And that's what frustrates me a lot of times. And that's why I think it's so dangerous that we do consider this to be a form of how, you know, success at a local level is, am I comfortable with the worship style rather than does this worship style, you know, twofold, a accurately give God glory and honor and, and point people to him, to a God that can, you know, transform lives and B does this bring people from the community together in the greater Christian community? Right. So causes the believers. Does it edify the body? Already, yeah. yeah. Does it, does it build up the body? But then is it also attractive to people who are, you know, to the target mm-hmm. audience? Right. Cause if I'm preaching, you know, 
James Wesley type sermons in the middle of Chicago. Well, that's downtown Chicago. Chances are they're probably not going to want to hear, you know, about the the aorist of the Greek and the blah blah blah. You know, they're not interested in that. That has nothing. That has no meaning to their lives. Um, but if I'm in a university, right, you know, with a bunch of uh, professors, and the, they're probably going to want to hear that, right? If I'm in a farming community, they're probably not going to want to understand, you know. To, but if I'm in a place that appreciates agriculture, and I preach a sermon that involves like, here's here, this is what you see every day. So here's how God relates to your world. It's like, oh, that makes more sense, you know. And so I think, I think we have to look more along the lines of, does this? Can people relate to this? Not that, not that you need to like focus everything to your audience. Like it's not audience driven, but are they going to be able to relate to this? Is this something that's going to be able to speak into their lives? And if that, if the answer is yes, then go for it. Like I don't, you know, like yay. yeah. But that should okay. be the measure of success. Well, instead here's, of here's, does this make me feel comfortable? Here's my issue with all of this, right? Because I think the next question I want to ask here is what does this say about our church? Or what are these things, what are these measures of success or metrics say about the church? And, uh, or say what, say, what does it say about what the church seems to value? And my, my problem with this is that what it seems to say to me is that we're trying to take the easy way out. We, what all of these metrics are, the, all of these metrics have an endpoint. All of these metrics have an endpoint. Yeah. So they all have a clear line where we go, yeah, we did it. A delineation. Yeah, we did it. They have, yeah, they have a clear, uh, they have a clear uh, end, ending refer, a reference point sure, delineation sh- that, yeah. Oh, kind we're of a, baptizing a, sh- a short-sighted. 10, yeah, yeah, we're baptizing 10 people a year. We're baptizing 30 people a year. Oh, our membership is growing. Oh, we have X percent of our, right, you, you just said it. I'm not saying that you saying it is a problem, but like, you 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 gave this as an example right, yeah. of like we have a hundred to two hundred and that's pretty good uh, out of three hundred members. Um, like that, yeah, yeah. Th- it's a clear line. It's like yeah, we we're doing pretty good, right? So what it says is that when we read like Acts two and we say oh, and three thousand people were added to their number that day, we just stop reading there and we go oh, that's the metric. But Acts keeps going. <laughs> Acts two keeps going. Um, and there's well, and not even just keeps going. There's there's a lot more before that as well to say like. They're sharing with the, in each other's homes. They're doing all. They're pooling resources. They're doing all these other stuff, and it's the other stuff that we don't count as success. We count that as evidence of the other success. We, we what we what we tend to do is say, "Oh, is that church?" Um, um, we we tend to see the other stuff as results of of the other successes, and it's the other way around. We're not adding three thousand people to the church, uh, or, or or we're not we're not sharing resources and doing more because we have more people we have more people because we're sharing and doing more together and living right. and building this community yeah. but yeah. the way we're measuring success is backwards and so what it seems to say is a we don't we don't value the hard work or the intangibles right so i value the baptism number because that's what tells me i'm being successful i don't care how i get you baptized i just care that you're baptized um so this is why discipleship is totally flipped and we we see baptism as this finish line instead of what it actually is, which is a starting starting. Yeah. Um, we like, this is why we have something, I don't know in Adventism, uh, if you've heard, have you, have you heard of, I think we've even talked about this on the show before. Have you heard of rice Adventists? You're going to have to, you're going to have to walk me through that one. 
Okay. Whether, so whether or not I've heard it before, you're going to have to walk <laughs> me right. through that right now. Um, yeah, because it's really easy for you to think that I'm being racist right now, and I'm not. Um, the, I mean, you the, are, just not no, because of that specific rice, thing. Ri- I, no, because I'm not saying, like, all right, so let me make, Ricer Adventists is a group of Adventists that I'll, I'll drive highly modded 1998 to, or 1993 to 1999 Honda Civics. Uh, all of those people live in Orlando, Florida. All right, great. Rice Adventists, however, um, this is basically what, what happened. Rice Adventists are Adventists that are literally only Adventist because they can get free rice or basically they can right. get help yeah, yeah, with yeah. food yeah. from their local village's church. So this is so in that, developing that, countries. That came from a particular developing country that had huge amounts of growth and people were talking about it, it got all big, and then someone did a little more in-depth research into it, and they found that what was happening is pastors were offering free rice to basically the the, the poor, uh, low-income people, and they would come, and you'd say, you can get the rice if you get baptized. And so they would put their name yep. on the register and say, oh, at Evangelistic Series, we baptize this many people. Uh, but then they would literally, he would literally not tell them anything about Adventists or th- they would literally not be told anything about Adventism and they would not be even expected to show up. They'd just be like, we have more rice if you want to, but the names would be on the book. Yep. And there are, there are, there, there are villages. I've talked with missionaries who've come back both um, of, of all ages. I'm not just talking like student missionaries or anything who've been to villages where the entire village is technically Adventist, but none of them go to church. They showed up once and they were put on the books. Yep. Um, so right, right. And, we're looking at the numbers for success. One, it's not one culture like that. That phrase started now that I know what you're talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. That yeah. phrase was started from one particular country in one particular instance, but it's all over. Yes, correct. And, and like, those are just extreme examples, but we do that. How many members do we have in our churches that are dead? Um, and we haven't taken them off the books. How many members do we have that are duplicated? How many members do we have that are inactive? And we're going to sit here and say we have 20 million members. I think that's, I mean, I think that's something that we really need to do is, I mean, I don't know if we need to put it on the, on the books, but I think we need to have like two lists where like we have active members and inactive members. Yo, I'm, I'm picturing right now, this is it. All right, hot take. All you creatives out there, I want an Adventist parody or a church parody of The Purge for 24 hours every year. Churches are allowed <laughs> to purge their books <laughs> with of, of whatever ministries or <laughs> cost related things that would be right. hilarious someone please do that that would be like uh tell the story of a family who just found is about to be purged from the books at their their church that they forgot to transfer their membership back from and they're trying to get back to their hometown before it's too late before before the business session ends and they get taken off the books. Someone send help. This is the dumbest idea ever, and I really want to see it now. Um, yeah, yeah, we can, we'll, no, we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. I think what it says <laughs> is we value, and we value human, you know, we, it says we value, it says we value human effort too. Um, yes, that's, to me, that's more than anything else. Like, people don't realize a baptism more than any, more, Every baptism is a happy accident because it's it's a it's a combination of human effort, but the really it's the working of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a true baptism, well, a true. I was gonna say every legitimate baptism. Yeah, legitimate, real, active member baptism. 
<laughs> is is it's a work of the Holy Spirit. A transformed life can only come about if the Holy Spirit's involved. And so when you say like, oh, like I as a as a younger kid, I went to evangelistic church. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I baptized thirty three members. Now I look at that and I'm just like, I did nothing, man. I was a white kid that stood up on a stage and talked for, you know, three hours every night for two weeks. Cool, yes. But it wasn't something that changed, you know, people's lives. That was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. But it's really easy for us to look at evangelists and be like, oh, man, they're so brave and wise, and it's amazing what they do. And it's like, yeah, it's great that God's working through them, but God's working just as hard through the cameraman. God's working just yep. as hard through the gen- – you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, we, we celebrate this, we, and it becomes an Adventist celebrity. It becomes a spiritual celebrity, a Christian celebrity. Um, you know, and, and, and beyond – let's take away the, the, the danger of putting people up on pedestals, you know, as many <sighs> – mainstream of evangelical pastors are finding out uh, that can be very dangerous. But I think also like as a whole, it really does. It, it marginalizes the other things, you know, because I really say like not everyone can be up front, and you understand that it really isn't. It really is not about the person who's up front. It's not about, you know, I would love if we could do an evangelistic series where there is no speaker. Can you imagine that yeah. where it's just small groups and they all just get together one night and the topic and, and they just discuss the topic together and they don't have one person that they have to pay, you know, $5,000 or whatever to come in or kids that God bless them, try their hardest, but you know, have zero yeah. training in how to effectively prepare a sermon. Yep. Um, and, and so they go to a place that perpetuates, you know, incorrect historical facts and, there's a man. I, the more I study about history, the more I'm like, oh man, none of our evangelistic series are correct. None yeah. of the that is not true. Constantine did not march an army through that. That's an apocryphal story. Like none of that stuff is true. And yep. and it's oh, well. so. But we put it in, and now yeah. you know it makes me question like all this stuff. So I th- I think yeah, like we need to really stop. Mar- we need to stop. How do I say this? We need to stop looking at human effort as a success, you know? I think I think human – it's hard, too, because, like, at some point this feels like it gets circular because you're like, okay, so what, like – People need to get involved, but you can't get credit who, for it. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, you end up yeah, circular. No, I, like, I got it. You want to encourage it, but it, it's not – all these things need the to one work in person. concert yeah, together. It's, it's not the and one more person. Than that. And it's, and to me, I think it's it's you not don't build up one more than the other. Well, and oh, no, no, it's okay, just, so here, it's part of the thing. Well, and here's my thing: Are you asking the question, "Hey, is my church getting more people involved?" Or, "Hey, is my church getting people to follow Jesus?" Like, is this member that is involved actually developing in the relationship with Jesus? Or am I not asking that? Do I do I not care? Um, or is this someone that, you know, is getting involved and by their involvement, we will hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll be convicted and compelled by being in community, by serving alongside to grow in their relationship with Christ. Don't get me wrong. Like it can be a vehicle to grow spiritual or to, to a vehicle for spiritual growth, but in general, like 
the volunteering or the service in your church itself doesn't mean anything. How many kids, like, you counted as a success because you got some junior deacons uh, grabbing or, or collecting offering. That's ridiculous. Um, a, there's no such thing as a junior deacon in the Bible, but B, um, it's, I mean, unless you want to call it Zacchaeus, if Zacchaeus ever, like, was a deacon in a church, I guess he would be a junior because he's tiny. Um, thank you. I will be here all night. Um, <laughs> um, I just, like, yeah, that kid likely isn't even going to probably stay in the church. I just read a stat last night that unless unless everyone, someone, it's an estimate, but, like, unless there's, like, rigorous amount of work to disciple a kid, only 11% of our kids end up staying in the church. I think Roger Hernandez tweeted that out as a quote or reference from from John Tyson. And like that's yeah. So but we count the kid doing offering or taking offering as as a success. Which cool, better him there than somewhere else. I mean, but, but it's just it's it's yeah. It's marginalizing. So, it's you know, demean it's not demeaning as much as it's um I mean, I was a ju- junior deacon and I think it was cool, but it it's it's patronizing and it takes away from the ability to actually give them something meaning not mean not that it's not meaningful but it's like you want to give them something that all right are they following god you can ask for offering and then go out and do whatever you want the next day but are they yeah. actually sharing their faith with their kids you know in their school with their with their classmates and colleagues and and yeah. are young adults on fire and excited and going out, you know, and, and finding friends, you know, are the people that we baptize going back to the communities that they have just, you know, been a part of and bringing people with them. You know, those are the things we need to ask. And well, okay. So, so this is my question then. What, (laughs) I didn't mean to spend this much episode talking about the negative stuff, but oh, well, um, what, what are the things that we, what are the things we, yeah. Yeah. What, what, well, no, we're already past the halfway point is my point. What are the things we actually truly value as a church? What are the things we do value? I think with an Adventism, we do value the preaching of the three angels' message, the, the, the idea that that Jesus is coming back. Um, I think we we I think we value our mission in that respect. Right. Yes. So spreading the gospel, I think we value. Uh, I do think we value following Jesus and and listening to yeah, the Holy Spirit. Individual understanding. Yep. I mean, I think that that's a Western one that we need to translate into other cultures is the individual understanding. I think sometimes they get a little bit too pack mentality in other parts of the world where it's like, oh, our leader has decided therefore we and it's like, well, that's not how Jesus did it. You know, that's not how John yeah. that's not how it was understood. And yeah. it's not a cultural thing. I think that's a that's a dogma thing. You need to come with your own individual understanding because God wants an yep. individual relationship with you, not with your I, pastor or yep. your president. Anyway, point so being, I do think, we, yeah, we value I think that we value, growth and I think discipleship. we value individualism and an understanding of the Bible, right? Every individual, I, none of none of the people who interpret the Bible understand more or less than, or their their interpretation is not more or less valuable than our common member. However, we tend to defer to them because we're like, well, they spend a lot of time studying, the, you know, these languages. Yeah. So, but it doesn't mean it's more or less valid. It okay. just means they probably understand what the original author was trying yeah. to say more. Well, and I want to make the clarification: these are expressed values. Because there's yeah. probably someone listening to this going, "No, our church doesn't. Our church doesn't value that. These are yeah, expressed these are values." Expressed and that's values. the point of, the, and that's that. Like that's the point of this episode. Yeah, is the very idea that that you might look at this and go. We, Do we, we don't though? seem to value that. Yeah, and yeah. and that's the thing is like because okay, yeah, like 
I would say the growth part with evangelism, you can tie that into missions as far as like we want to go to the, all the world. But I think like when it comes to when it comes to the Great Commission, especially the Adventist three angels message, it's not about creating disciples. Like we want to we want to talk about we want to merge the Great Commission with the three angels message. And it's like the three angels message is not the Great Commission. Like I think it's important that we teach people that you know, uh, about, you know, eschatology and Jesus coming soon and all that. But the Great Commission is teach people to follow Jesus. The Adventist is let everyone know that Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, correct. The Great that Commission does not is mean make, make them Adventist. Nope. That does not mean make them Adventist. It means go out and let people know, hey, Jesus is coming. Like if you were thinking about, you know, tr- th- this is something that adds value to your life, you know, you're, you're, if, all right, I use a quick description. I love nacho fries from Taco Bell. I know that you have a very fractious relationship right now with Taco Bell. No, I don't. I don't. Ryan. I don't. I don't. Tortillas are back. With the, okay. 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 All right. The tortillas are back. Uh, recently, you were in a kerfuffle with, with I was. corporate. I was, I was heartbroken. <laughs> um, I love the nacho fries. I love the nacho fries. They're so good. And, um, because they're limited, I go and I try to get them when they're available, right? Because I know that at some point I'm not going to get that. And there's this good thing that I love. And I tell people like, oh, someone asked me like, oh, I don't really go to talk about what should I get? And I was like, you should get the nacho fries because you can't get them. You know, they might be gone in a couple months. And they were gone like in a day. Like I went one day and the next day they were gone. Wow. I was like, I would like some nacho fries. Oh, we don't have them anymore huh? Cause it just ran out. So like, it, it's one of those things of like, it might be gone and there might not be, you might not be anymore. So why not add this yep. great thing to your life? That's the, the energy, uh, the, I don't know how to say this. Like that, that should be the way, the style, the, the motivation, the, whatever you want to call it that we bring to the world about Jesus coming. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yeah, be, the three angels' message is basically nacho. Nacho fries. fries nacho fries are. Yes. Going I to agree. leave soon, and you should you should get yeah. some nacho fries before it's unavailable. Um, and I think that's the whole thing is like, why would you not want to? Why would you not tell yeah. people like, here's this amazing thing, get it in your life? But I think a lot of times we don't value that as much as we value perfection. Dare I say? Beha- yeah, behavior I hate modification. Behavior, I hate that term, but that's I hate the that first term, thing. but that's what it yeah. is. It's it's a behavior focused faith um, because we've said we've said the fruits of the spirits of these things, and the only evidence of the way that we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that is through behaviors. So we look at external behaviors as evidence of internal change. Which yeah. yes, that's exactly what that is, but it's not the sole it's evidence not necessarily, of internal. Yeah, yeah. and and, um, and I think yeah. beyond that, we want to rush it. Um, we want complete behavior modification and it's like dude yeah uh the and and i mean that's a we've talked about well and know, we care about last generation and we, theology and on here quite honest, a bit but we care about more things than just like look if i if i told you like i have a feeling let me put it this way if if, if i baptize you you have a problem with lying and i don't um you know you tell me you stop lying i find out you lie i just basically i tell you like after you've been baptized, be like, come on, dude, like, chill. You need to, like, stop, right? But 
currently within the current culture, if you told me within the current like accepted framework of with within the church of LGBTQ, right? So basically, the I, the expectation that LGBT, if they become let's say Adventists, that they would be expected to be either celibate or marry straight, right? So tell you, oh, uh, you are be not um, gay anymore. Yeah, like okay, cool, you're celibate, right? All right, then I find out you kissed a guy. I'm like, oh no, you can't hold your lead. You've just lost your leadership position. You tell a white lie one time, no one's gonna care. Like we've ranked the the oh yeah, I, three of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs involve lying or gossiping, and we don't care at all about those two. We and, do those two and things actively. How much gossip? Mm, I've caught myself doing that, and I'm like, nah. Eh. Like I want to discuss things to get information out and disseminate, but I, there are some times where it's like, look. This is secondhand. Like, this is not from the horse's mouth. So I want to be really careful about that because I don't want to spread rumors. Like, this is, you know, this is what happened. And and I've had people, you know, call me out on this podcast about saying things secondhand. And it's like, well, eh, it's it's from a decent source. But, like, the reality is, yeah, we, I, you know, that's, that God hates that. He hates it. and But we don't talk about it. Pride. Yeah. If we, if we attack pride, and that's the thing, like, it boils down to a question of what decisions are we making as a church right now, as an organization, at the big level, and and at community level as Christians. What decisions are we making that put us in line with those values that we talk about? Because the reality is, your values are showed by what you choose and what you do, right? Like what you actually, and that's what we were talking about, that right? Like expressed values versus, um, expressed real values. values. Are, uh, well, yeah, it expressed values, but yeah, not ideal values. It's, it's expressed values versus real or real values, or, real values, or, or, or practiced values. practice values. Um, yeah, I, yeah. What what values do values? we actually have? I um, I think knowledge of Ellen White. That's in Advent in Adventism, yeah. In Adventism, honestly, I think status quo. I think maintenance. I think maintaining what we have. So, in other words, not. Yeah. I think I think we value not losing. I don't think and, we value creativity because yeah. I don't see any decisions. While we might express that we value creativity from the front, um, I don't see decisions being made that value creativity or failure. Um, not, not the, the creativity means failure at some point, right? Like it, it, yeah. we don't we value don't, that. We don't value. We don't value giving, failure. Giving room. Um, we don't value our young adults and our youth. Um, you know, actually on that note, can I pause you right there? Yeah. On that note, I was thinking about this the other day. The reason like post-collegiate is now a thing. Yeah. Post-collegiate is now yeah. a group. Yeah. And I, I find it funny. The reason post-collegiates are, are a group now is not because we, um, is not because there's nothing for them in the church right now. The reason that we have a post-collegiate group is because when that post-collegiate group was youth, or was, you know, junior age, right? So like 10 years old to 12 years, we said, oh, well, they don't really like our service, but we don't want them to have their way in here. So let them go do their own thing. And we created things that cater to them because they, we don't want them to disrupt what the we adults, adults do, yeah. the adults, right? Yeah. So yeah. now they've gotten to the level where they're supposed to participate in the adults, but they've always they've been told- They've had no leading to the, yeah. They've had no leading to that. And they, it hasn't been made for them. Yeah. It hasn't been made for them to interact with. There's no it's, transition. It, you yeah. just expect that when a kid turns 18 or 21, 
that they're just going to magically decide that they like what you like as an adult and be okay with the service that you've created. Well, and and it's it's also like we come from a changing world where for years you became an adult when you could farm your own land. So it was similar to a degree. It's like, oh man, we've all dealt with this, right? Ha 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 ha. Now it's like, man, you know, I I know kids that kids. I know post-collegiates that are graphic designers and their whole family was like plumbers. And they have yeah. no connection and they're not married and they have no intention of getting married soon. And they're not in a rush. They're just enjoying life. They want to live in a city. They don't want to live in a country, you know? And it's like they have nothing in common with those people. So it's not even that there's no transition to being adult. There's no space for them within the adults because it's all from previous generations that have no connection to them. And previous generations are living longer. Like the reality is most of the people who are in our Sabbath schools right now would not have been alive when they were starting out as adults. Yes. I, I mean, they're, in the Adventist church, maybe because we're all like a hundred year old, but like, like in most of Christianity, like for the majority of it, when you hit 60, man, you were on the way out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was, you know, you had a few that were there that, that held on, but for the most part, they didn't have them. But now we have, you know, whole Sabbath schools, you know, yeah. for octogenarians and stuff. And it's like, they wouldn't have been there. Uh, I think we value our historical identity. Yeah. Our identity, our, our slot within history. And I think bad. all of Christianity does that. Yeah. No, no, no. I, no. I don't I, think that's I, bad, just, but I think it's definitely something we value. Yeah. Um, I now, do here's think, the thing. I do think not, we... Uh-huh. Go ahead. I was going to say, not everything is valued equally either. No. So you can no. value it. We can value some things too much and other things not yeah. enough. So to be, I, it's all a spectrum. Yeah. I do think we value, and this is and this is becoming huge now, especially more than ever, we value the community as a whole. Um. I feel like for a couple decades, there was this very became partisan. Like we do value the community as a whole, um, as a, as a, like we're more interested in, in bringing people together and coming together with a decision rather than following one or two people, you know? So Mark Driscoll says this, therefore we will do this versus, is this helpful for everyone? Can we all get behind the same page on this? And I think that that is something that I think is is beautiful because the values, especially particularly in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that we are going forward and that we've kind of always had is we're gonna we're gonna stay with the vote. You know, we could have we could have tweaked the voting system in a way that skewed towards you know financial wealth, that skewed towards uh, historical seats which would have all been, you know, the U.S., the NAD. And I think that, you know, we have other places that are voting and we're sticking with those votes, you know. Yeah. We have people, we have decisions being made on the floor during GC or, or whatever these decisions, and people are sticking to them. Um, I think you're seeing, interestingly enough, the greater evangelical community now struggle with that because they're saying the decisions that you're making as a group do not, it excludes a whole part, you know, it excludes our LGBTQ members. It excludes, you know, our women, it excludes this, like, and we're seeing them struggle with that, you know, because it's like, if, if the people on the fringe aren't involved, this is not good. So I think we value that. And I think that's good. I think that's, that's biblical. So my, my thing is a lot of these things seem intangible. And even if we say we value young adults, like, well, we value young adults, and let's say that we we say a metric for success for that is um, 
you know, young adults involved as delegates at GC or young adults in leadership positions or young adults doing this or young adults doing that or young adults up front or youth up front, whatever, right? The problem is that we still run into the same problem because ultimately we're looking at something, we're trying to see something visible as a metric for success. And I'm like, I just, I'm trying to figure out a new way to value success in a way that's tan- in a way that may just acknowledge and live in the reality of the, or the tension between intangibility uh, or, or you know the intangibility of a value uh and the desire to uh create a metric and yeah. and define yeah. its success but ultimately like no i think we i think our metric for success is are people growing closer to jesus and loving like jesus and i think um because i think those two things um I, granted i get that that's oversimplifying it don't get me wrong like i think I, I get that that's super broad but i think we need to start looking internally and the the reason we don't want to do that is because it takes a lot more uh it takes a lot more effort and a lot more time and you can't just easily create that metric um yeah you, you, i true. mean you can't you can't just easily quantify it and call it a day i can't just be like yeah. oh you're up you're up front no one ever asked me as no one no one not a single one of my members ever asked me. In fact, no one in church, I don't think, other than maybe a friend, but no one from pastoral staff and no one from, uh, no one just in church as when I was a pastor or, or whatever has ever asked me, hey man, how's your relationship with God doing? Hey, uh, like, like no one asked me that. In fact, the only time that I was ever asked how your devotional life is going is when one of my professors did a mock interview with me. And it was so he could teach me to not use the political answer, which is not as great as I'd like it to be, right? Um, he was the one who actually forced me to be honest about it. But even that was in the context of a mock interview. Like, we're not actually caring about each other's locks with God and our, and our, and our discipleship. We're just caring about the performance of our faith. And even the most liberal, even the most progressive that says we don't value, you know, you come as you are, be who you are. Um, we still are only valuing the behavior and performance aspect of faith. Because if you're being who you are, then we call that a success, which is you're doing the things that you want to do, but it's still doing, it's still a focus on actions, but we're not looking at, we're not looking at, someone's desire or heart for Jesus or heart for others and the evidence that that, 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 that kind of brings up and or the evidence that would point to it. And yes, at some point you are still looking at behaviors no matter what. So I think it's important for us to just lean into that truth a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, it's what behaviors. Yeah. Like what particular behaviors? Yeah. Um, so for me, I think a good way to do that, um, a way to, define those metrics so that they line up with our values is to ask ourselves, well, number one, I think a lot of times those metrics are based on biblical standards, but I think we have to look and say, um, you know, this verse in, in Romans is just so helpful for everything. All things are lawful. Not all things are helpful. Right. Talking about this, this grown up decision of, you know, yes, you can eat whatever you want, but is that going to help you? Is it going to make you better? Taco Bell makes me better. Yeah, it does. Um, it's food for the soul. Uh, <laughs> um, the reality is when we look at these these values and metrics, we have to ask the question, is this, is this going to spread the gospel? Is this going to make the community better? 
Um, and, and that's, that's the, the baseline standard you go from. And then if you look at all that, then you begin to go through and say, okay, um, how many people did we baptize? Okay. Ask different questions. What can actually go through and make a difference in this community? Is it baptizing 10 people? Yes, that's important. Or is it making sure that we have a, a homeless ministry, right? And it's not about how many we gave away or, or whatever, or even involvement in that. It's um, we, we have gone out and consistently for two years um, been a part of the homeless community here. Um, we People know our name now. Um, we're, we've become an iconic part. Yeah. Of of this community here. Um, people know that we are a church. We tell people that we are doing this because we love Jesus and it is something that they understand from us. That's something that's something that you can look at and it is a metric. Right? We want to be here another three years. And and we wanna help people out and we wanna grow, but we wanna do this because God is because this is a need that we are feeling in our community. Um, you know, when you look at what did, what did the early church consider a success? You know, I mean, they fought with that. And I think part of it wasn't, you know, Paul kind of talks about it. He's like, I'm not interested in growth or whatever. Like, I want to see that your conduct is, is where the gospel, that when people talk about your church, they talk about with pride and, and with, um, you know, all those are good people. Right. Look at what he says. You know, I mean, he writes it all over in Colossians and Philippians and Galatians. He's like, I'm so proud that when I hear, you know, Philippians, you know, I'm so proud that even over here, I hear about your faith and how you are, you know, just a vibrant part of your community. Um, you know, most of the churches that I've been a part of, if they disappeared, the community wouldn't even know they were gone. Yeah, my. So I think I think the way that I would kind of end this discussion for me, as far as how I would define success yeah. with our values is, um, by actually correcting a misconception. Um, so in Isaiah 58, it's one of the most famous passages that we quote regarding keeping the Sabbath. And thou shalt not put, Oh no, this is a different, oh, yeah. one. This is a different one, right? So it's Isaiah uh, 58 verse 13. If you, um, if you turn your foot, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, and if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will f- yeah, okay, cool. So we use that in, as Adventists to say like, cool, this is why you don't swim on the Sabbath. This is why you don't do X on the Sabbath. This is why you don't do these things on the Sabbath. You should refrain from your pleasure, from talking idly. We shouldn't talk about work at church. We shouldn't talk about these things at church, right? Okay, cool. Not cool. <laughs> Read the rest of 58 that leads up before that. Because of the rest of 58, the Lord is basically answering, um, answering Israel, where they're saying what we've been doing, we've, we've um, he's quoting, God is quoting Israel, asking him, like, why have we fasted and you, and you don't see it, God? What, why have we humbled ourselves and you're not taking any knowledge of it? And uh, then God, and God answers that. He says, okay, you've, answered, you've asked me these things. Well, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Yeah. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. 
Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is, su- is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Ready? Okay, so hold on. Um, this is what he called, this, then this is what he challenges Israel to do. Yeah. This blew my mind because I've never heard a sermon on this. I've only heard Isaiah 58 referenced as refrain from your own pleasure. He says um, in verse six, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of God shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Basically, he said, if, if you, you know, if you where, pour where out yourself, this, for, this is Isaiah 58. Okay. Um, says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the, the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide yeah. you. Continue. So basically, when, 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 Isaiah, when, when God and Isaiah says, if you, turn your, if, you, if you do your own pleasures on the Sabbath, um, then you're sinning, right? Um, he, if, if you refrain from doing your own pleasures, you're, 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 you're doing the right thing on the Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's what he Which says. Is, it's so funny because he even describes, you know, like, I'm reading the King James Version here, and I want to switch over to some of the other ones. But, like, he even describes straight up where he's like, you put on sackcloth and ashes, like, and you think this is how you're supposed to honor the Sabbath. And I'm like, that's kind of what we did for like 80 years as Adventists. Yeah. It was just like, put on ye sackcloth and ashes and moan, moan, I say yeah. about the Sabbath. Well, and that's, and it's like, that's well, my that's point. The metric of success in God's kingdom seems to be how you take care of the world, like how you take care of the people that can do you no favors yeah. and that can't repay you. The metric for success is the impact that you're having on the community outside of yourself. That's why I think when, when, when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a tree uh, whose branches spread out so far that the birds perch on it, right? The birds aren't yeah. the tree. Yeah. The tree, the kingdom of God, benefits those outside of itself. Yeah. So the metric yeah. of success is not our numbers. The metric of success, Adra, is our metric for success in Adventism. Like, yeah. I, 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 not specifically, but yeah, kind of. I think, like, I think the best, like, like even for us as a nation to say, oh, the United States is a Christian nation. Okay. Well, is the United States from a policy perspective following Matthew 25? <laughs> Have fun. Are, are we taking care of... Are we just Christian because we said we were Christian? Are we Christian? Uh, yeah. Are we Christian because we say the word Jesus and we go to, you know, and we pray at our rodeos and we have a cross in our house? Or are we actually going out and loving the people that are the least of these? Are we going out and finding the marginalized in our communities and specifically looking for them when no one else, when everyone else has rejected them mm-hmm. and saying, I will accept you? No, not even no one else when them. we've rejected them. The ah, even that, these, yeah. The least of these ah. in Matthew 25 are the people we reject. I mean, I mean, you could go that far, but it's like I, the world rejects people enough. You know what I mean? Like just life knocks people down. Um, but even then, yeah, we knock people down and like, hey, I'm going to. So it's a personal call, but it's also a call as a community. And, and I think, yeah, that's a great way to say, all right, is this doing that? Yeah. Is is this serving every the world? Board meeting, every board meeting that you go to, and, and hey, get involved in your local church if you can, man. It's a hoot. Um, get a stress ball, but go. It's, it's <laughs> I great. want a whole advertising campaign about getting involved in church with just 
It's a it's hoot. A hoot. <laughs> it's a hoot. It's a hoot. This is not hooey. Um, just begs credulity to get people involved. It's, no, I hate you. I, 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 it really like get involved and and go there and just ask the question. Does this every board meeting should ask that question? Do the decisions that we're making tonight or today or whenever you're having it, is this fully, you know, is this doing exactly what Isaiah 58 says? Yep. Is this doing what Matthew 25 says? If not, then why are we talking about it? Yep. That's all with it. And it's and in the policy, it says, well, it should be about evangelism. I'm like, evangelism is spreading the gospel. You look how Jesus spread the gospel. He went and met people's needs. Argue with me all you want the facts are there. You can fake news it all you want all day. Look at what Jesus did. The majority of his life was spent going and meeting people, not even teaching, going and meeting people and healing. Mm-hmm. And so if you go in there and and you actually start doing the evangelism the way you're supposed to do it, um, and, and it requires us to reevaluate our traditional understandings and cultural understandings. Um and interpretation. So you have to do that and you yep. have to ask those questions. But my thing is if churches were asking these questions, I think they would come to those conclusions. I think the biggest problem that we have in changing that culture is that they aren't asking those questions. So we need people to go into those churches and to find those churches and to start asking those questions yeah. and start you know, telling people, hey, these are the questions we need to be going if we want to move in the future. If we want to go, you know, if we don't want to be one of these churches, you know, that has 10 members that are in their 80s and is literally dying, this is how we need to move forward. Yep. This is, these are the questions we need to ask to make sure that we keep more than 11%. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the questions we need to ask. Yeah. Are we actually valuing in this way? Yeah. Do we, what are the things that we value? And then what are the things, okay, then what, what are we doing budget wise? What are we doing personnel wise? What are we doing ministry wise that value that that sh- that proves that value? What we value? Because if, I love if, I I love some of our our youth leaders and directors, but I think half the time we don't put our most dynamic people there. I think we just shunt people to the kids, anyone who's available. Instead of saying this is where we're going to put the majority of our time and nope. effort, instead of saying you know we're gonna we're gonna actually take your best and put it where mm-hmm. you know you think it's going to matter. I agree. So um, I think and I think that's a good place to kind of kind of end on is that kind of call to action of like get involved and start asking these questions of your local church and finding out how you can um, and in your local church, in your community, right, in your friends. What are the things that you value and what are the decisions you're making that um, what are the things that you're what are the things that you're doing that prove that that's what you value? And um, that I think that's a great place to start as we, as we move towards these kind of value-based decisions. Um, what are the goals you want to make and what are the things you're doing to get there? So, Hey, thank you guys so much for listening. Next week is episode 100. We are almost there. So come and join us. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got a really cool episode, uh, that we're going to drop for episode 100. So don't miss it. So cool. Um, I'm really excited about it, even though it's still in the planning phases at the time that we're recording this episode, but it's coming. One week. It's coming. Um, or if you're listening to this after that week has passed, the next go episode, just go it. listen to it. It's now. The Why ne- not? Episode 100 is now. Do um, it. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash absurdity podcast, and you can, um, you can donate uh, as much as you want monthly to the podcast. Uh, every patron gets 
uh, episodes early and ad-free, and $5 or more get a bonus episode per month. Thank you guys so much that uh, for those of you that are sponsoring us on Patreon. I appreciate you. I love you guys, and I uh, just thank you so much for making it possible for us to do this. Um, and if you want to subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, you can find us. Um, and man, thank you guys so much for being on this journey with us. We're almost there to 100, and we're going to keep plowing right on through 100 as well. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.